the Koigig part on Off the Ball. That the car will go from strength to strength because I've said it before, for me, she's the most exciting prospect to come out of this country in a, a, a very long time. Subscribe to the Koigig part on the Off the Ball app now. All right, you're welcome back. It is Thursday's Off the Ball. Nathan with you this evening. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by a colleague of ours here in News Talk, but much more important than that. She is Ireland's strong woman champion for 2023 and 2024. Sheila Nocton, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. You had the trophy with you and yeah. everything. It's impressive. It's impressive. It's clunky, though. <laughs> uh, well, you've no problem carrying it around, obviously. it's yeah, That's the easy part for you. That's the easy part, yeah. One finger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stupid question to start. How do you become strong woman champion? What do you got to do? Okay, so the actual competition itself. Yeah. Uh, so every single strong woman or man event has five events in it. Okay. So they'll be different in every single competition that you do. And so you train for that specific competition. Um, you would do events days, which is focusing just on the five events or maybe three of them if because it's quite heavy lifting and then the rest of the time is building up the strength in the muscles that you will need to do all of those events. Right. So there's kind of is a bit of a structure. There will always be a deadlift style event. Mightn't be a conventional deadlift but there will be a deadlift style. There'll be something overhead. There'll be moving events which in the competition I just did were farmers. So running with them either side mm. for we did 40 metres um, but obviously the weight is quite heavy and then the yoke and sandbag runs, which was the movement event here. And then you have a final one, which is either, which everyone will know, the Atlas Stones, which are the ones that all the like strong men, world's strongest men do, those or a sandbag to your shoulder. Okay. So you'll have, that's the general gist of most comps. And when you're uh, deadlifting, what are you deadlifting? Okay, well, this is the sore subject because it didn't go well okay. this time round. Yeah, thank God the rest went well. It just didn't, even though I won, I still, I still want to do as well as I had aimed at for each event, regardless of where I place. Okay. So the aim was 150 kilos and I had managed 145 in training and I failed the 150. So wasn't delighted. So my, my overall that day was 140, but I'd done that before. So that okay. felt like a disappointment. You're in the under 64 kilo category. So it's still, uh, <laughs> what are we at? Two and a half times. It's yeah, still impressive. Th- that's And I know, and it's relative. And I mean, there was, you should, the women that day in all of the categories, like the, the deadlifts across the board were so heavy. It was really impressive. You know, you had girls under 73 doing 160, 170 kilos. Like it's, it's big lifts. So an event like that, does all that take place over the one weekend? The yeah, five different uh, events? Within um, two, two and a half hours. Okay. Yeah, so I suppose often that's maybe why you wouldn't maybe perform what you had done in training because you won't have Fatigue done them is, that, yeah. that close together. But And also the nerves. Uh, it was Max Deadlift. That was our first event. Everybody was still shaking and trying to get the nerves out of them. But um, yeah, everything done in two hours. Wow. Uh, impressive. <laughs> When did you start taking uh, this sort of training seriously and and deciding to enter strong woman championships and starting to do it competitively? How did that happen? So I suppose it it, it started, I used to go to classes all the time. I was always in the gym. Um, A bit of a, a slight detour, but a background to me is that I had anorexia and I'm in recovery from an eating disorder. I still say I'm in recovery, but I'm obviously an awful lot better. Mm. Um, And back then I had a very, very negative relationship with exercise. I used it to kind of punish my body. I used it to to torture myself, really. It wasn't wasn't fun. It was just to burn calories and it was really negative. So when I got into recovery, I remember they told me, 
you actually may never be able to exercise again because you'll always over exercise. Right. And they, but I was determined. I was like, but I love exercising, so I need to find a safe way to do it. So started back at the gym, just doing these kind of circuit classes and hit classes. Again, that wasn't totally healthy because that was also about sweating and burning calories. And one day I missed the class and I went in and um, my coach, who's still my coach, was doing a strength and conditioning class. And he said, just hop in and, and try this. I said, oh, no, I'm very weak. I still very slim, couldn't lift a lot. He said, just hop in and try this. And I loved it. It was slower. It was all about relative to your size and your mm. weight. You lifted things. And I thought, OK, I can do this. And that's really where it took off. It was strength and conditioning. And then... COVID came along and I continued to kind of do lifting on my own. Um, and I was I came out of COVID probably the fittest I've ever been. Um, and I was looking around at these girls who were all lifting what I was lifting. They were doing strong woman. And I thought I could never do that. But I was lifting the same weights. So after watching one competition of them doing it, I thought, sure, I'll jump in and give it a go. And my first competition was actually Ireland's Strongest Woman about three years ago. I obviously came last. Like, I I think I even had a run in time. Did I train for maybe five or six weeks? And, but that was the start of it. Coming last in Ireland's strongest woman, though, still makes you pretty strong. <laughs> <laughs> it was, at the time, I think I was more emotional then because I, from what I had come from and how weak mm. I was and how, and suddenly I was able to actually, you know, at least stand a chance in this thing. That was the incredible part, you know? That's still... Uh, quick turnaround from COVID from coming out of that never having competed to becoming a, a two-time champion to getting from coming last to coming first <laughs> in the space of just a couple of years it yeah. is a heck of an achievement. It was I, I after the first few losses I had about I did about three competitions in a row where I just didn't do well. Now I went then to them kind of knowing I wasn't going to you know you know what the other girls can lift you know where they're at um, so you can you know you can be realistic um, and eventually and one of them I came fourth and I thought, oh, maybe I'm getting better at this. Mm. And actually, I took a break then. So I moved from Monaghan, where there was an awful lot of um, equipment and, and places that you could do strong woman. And I went down to Tipperary and I found it harder there to find places. So there's a lot of qu- equipment gyms don't have. Eventually, I did find it. I'd taken a 10 month break. Now, training consistently, still doing five days a week of lifting. Um, and I came back after the 10 months and did Ireland's Strongest Woman. That was last year and and won. But I really shocked myself. I I didn't think that's how far I'd come in the year, but but the break and the 10 months did me a world good. It also, what I learned in all the times of doing those competitions at the start was if an event didn't go well, that was me done for the day. I was, everything else didn't matter. The whole um, competition was a disaster and I didn't perform well at the other events. Not realising that the way you win is an accumulation of points. So you can come second in every single one and still win. Mm. So I, it was more, yeah. So it was, now, it's obviously great that this time around that, you know, I, I came, I got a few firsts, so that always sets you up well. But, you know, I think it was realising you have to get over your head a little bit as well to be able to, to win these often. And how did you find that change from training for, for fitness, probably for your mental health, to actually, this is now a competitive thing. There's an end point to your training. That's actually, that's a great question. I, yeah, it, it, I found that things that had been an issue before, so my disordered eating sometimes still would have played a part. Um, I mightn't have fueled myself properly going into to training. Um, I definitely wasn't going to be taking any supplements or anything, any powders that had calories in them, it, even if they'd help at the start, because I was still in that mindset of working out losing weight this kind of cycle that I'd mm. always been in and suddenly I realised I couldn't perform 
well. I couldn't lift the weights that were being set on my plan if I didn't fuel myself. So I think that's what changed. It was a shift towards your whole life now has to be, um, I suppose, more balanced. And you also ha- you have to you have to eat and fuel yourself to be able to do this. So that was probably the, the biggest change. And also, I mean, consistency was never really an issue for me. I really love the gym. I love going in and doing it. Um, but it, it was making sure that I didn't... I suppose get get too bogged down in it. I can be really hard on myself and if something doesn't go well, I'm a, oh, well, that's it now. Throw the towel in. I had to also learn not to do that when I was okay. going towards competitions. Can you talk to us a bit about your eating disorder? When when did the issues begin? Oh, well, I suppose I I would have been diagnosed in, in 2017. Okay. But now, diagnosis is, is funny because you realise when you start to do things like counselling that you're probably sick for a very long time. Um, and that's what I realised. I So when I got diagnosed, I was about 22, 23, had just finished college. Everyone kept telling me, you know, you have everything going for you. Like I'd, I'd done really well in, in, in my course. I was living in Dublin. I was, I was actually, I was on Gogglebox at the time and I'd studied drama. So it was like, oh, well, you're on TV already. Aren't you delighted? Like everything seemed great. And I was just desperately unhappy. So um when I started to look back then, I actually had showed signs of this from the age of about seven, where I was standing on weighing scales. Okay. Um, I was, you know, going on diets as a child all the way up through a teenager. Um, and what's funny is, and some of my friends say it now, they're like, well, look what your body can do now. When I was in secondary school, I was absolutely tortured for being muscly. So I was really badly bullied, um, particularly focused around the fact that I had muscly legs for a girl. Um, it just happened to be the way that I was. Mm. I was very sporty. And I did anything to make them smaller. I didn't want to be noticed. I didn't want it to be commented on. So all of that over the years just made me want to shrink myself. And it's funny now, the sport I'm in, having muscle and being strong is so celebrated. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think that 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 was kind of the the, this, the the path I went on, the journey I went on to getting very sick. And then, I mean, I had, I had two inpatient stays in, in hospital, um, you know, trips to emergency department and outpatient for six months and I I mean a few years of work um, I still don't have I did, still don't consider myself recovered um, but I don't think you have to have that label to be okay mm. and I'm definitely okay Yeah brilliant Yeah Like when you say seven years of age and weighing yourself when you reflect and I'm sure you've thought about this was that an internal thing or were there outside influences were there was it a gang of friends? Like it's you're such, like it's such a young age to even yeah. think about things like that. What what was going on in your life that, when you look back, that that, that made you stand and, and start thinking about your weight at at that age? Yeah, it's so I do know what it was because I often tell parents this because they'll say, "Oh my gosh, my my lads, our girl is only eight. and I say, "Well, that doesn't mean it can't happen." Mm. Um, so there was always um, conversations in my house around weight, particularly my granny who was quite a small lady and I worshipped her. I thought she was amazing. And when I'd hear these conversations and they talk about her weight, especially if she was sick or going into hospital, I'd think, oh, well, I wonder what I am compared to her. So I wonder what my weight is compared to my granny's. And I remember going into her bathroom and she had a scale and I stood on it and I literally remember the numbers. And so there was an awful lot of conversation around that. And then as I was growing up, I grew up in a, at the time when, you know, it was... Size zero was a big was a big deal. Um, all of these celebrities who were very thin, I was obsessed with them, like weirdly obsessed. I wanted to, if they were thin, I wanted to be like them. Um, so and and over the years, I've been told there is often a biological aspect to it. So obviously, if there was kind of maybe issues with weight in my family, mm. 
that's part of, but also then what I was exposed to. So exactly like that, my friends and me being obsessed with celebrities that, that look this way. And then obviously I went to secondary school and I was told my body didn't look right. So all of that, I suppose, it all comes in together. There's never, unfortunately for everybody, everyone wants to know what like the point was so that it doesn't happen to them. Unfortunately, it is often a, an accumulation of things. And then when bad things would happen in my life, my go-to was, okay, well, I'll restrict my food now. That's what I'll do. Or I'll go to the gym actually twice today and that'll make me feel better. So a lot of things, yeah, growing up and then triggers, that would be my comfort zone. Right. Like, mm. It's funny when you say, when someone would say, well, you know, my daughter's eight and you know, that wouldn't happen. I'd imagine a lot of parents would also think, well, if that was my daughter or my son and there was an issue, I'd know. If they weren't eating, if if, if something, you know, if if there was an issue there, I'd, I'd spot it straight away. Yeah. Like when you were a teenager and you were going through that, were you able to to keep it under wraps? Were you did people were people aware that there were issues, or was it a shock to everybody? So we're the best liars, absolute best liars, until it's so obvious we can't hide it anymore. So 2017 is is the time when my dad saw a photo and went, "Oh my god, there's a problem." What age are you then? Uh, 22. Okay. Yeah. So this so, has been going on a long time. Yeah, and up until then, I had always I, I did eat, I just ate carefully. And I would go through phases of being on diets and not being on diets. But and I, so I didn't acknowledge that that was an issue. Sure, wasn't everybody doing it? Mm. Wasn't everybody on a diet? And wasn't it normal to just randomly cut bread out? Like, you, you know, so I justified it as well. So I never went to anybody saying there was an issue. Even when I spoke about the bullying to my mother as I was sick, she said, why didn't you tell us? We would have gone to the school. We would have done something. But I didn't know it was bullying. I thought that was slagging that you get as a teen. So there was a lot of denial on my part that meant that I hid it. But as it did get worse, I would hide from people. So you wouldn't mm. see me as much. I mightn't go to an event. I um, And like that with parents saying, I would know my child. My parents feel so much guilt that they didn't spot it. But I say, but how could you? Sure, I, w- I, I masked it. I, I pretended everything was fine. I ate in front of you. I, you know, we're just, we're so, we're very manipulative when we're unwell. Mm. Um, and even when I got, as the sicker I got, the more manipulative I got and the more in denial I got. So, yeah. So you, you talk about going to college then and, you know, being very successful. How did it, how did it affect your school years? Anybody who uh, knows someone with eating disorder, I guarantee will tell you that they're a high achiever. Okay. Like, the girls I met when I was an impatient, they were the people who would be president. Like they are in, were incredible people who were so successful and had so much going for them. But it's that perfectionism that drives you often the way it did with me. Like I said to my dad, if I could, if I could channel my willpower into something other than being thin, oh my God, I'd be, I'd have any, anything I wanted. Mm. Um, but I just channeled it in, in the wrong way. So, um, you know, it was like, I'm going to be thin, so I'm going to be the thinnest. Um, so during college, all of my determination, it went into my academics or it went into being the partier and being like the first one on the dance floor. And the, so I just gave everything my all and I was able to ignore the, the eating disorder, even though the voice was kind of there in my head. I was able to put it to the side enough to get through college. And it's like that the minute I got through what I needed to get done and I got my first class honours, it's like everything fell apart. It was like a switch went and it was literally that five months later after finishing my dissertation that I ended up in hospital. Okay. Yeah. So I could only keep it going. Do you know when you go home at Christmas and suddenly you get a flu because you've been working mm. flat out all the way up to Christmas? It's like that's what that's what happened to me. Okay. And those five months, what, what happens during those five months? I, I, it was like an absolute spiral that I... I 
I could not get out of. So it just, my behaviours just got worse and worse. I mean, the restriction, the exercise, um, the lying, the not going to things, just losing weight. I mean, it's so much a week that I, that you, it just couldn't, I couldn't stop it. And I wasn't going to be able to pull myself out of it anymore. And were you withdrawing yourself all the time more all, and more? All the time. If anything got in the way of me exercising or not eating, I didn't want to do it. Okay. And you couldn't talk to me. There was no speaking to me. And eventually got to a point where I arrived home from the gym at 12 at night because I was in a 24 hour gym. And my parents were at my house in Dublin and they said, we're taking you home. You, you're not getting to control this anymore. So I, I just had to have it taken out of my hands then. Yeah, and the, the, when you go home that night and the, over the following days, when you're having to sit down and have the conversation, you you don't want to have. I'm sure. <laughs> are, are are your parents at that stage learning for the first time all these things going back over the previous fourteen, fifteen years that you've gone through? No, they're saying, "How do we save you now?" Right, because they were like, "You're dying in front of us. We're watching our daughter die," and they said, "We don't know what to do." And I said, "Okay, what do you need me to do?" And they go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, got the referral letter, put it in my drawer. Are you saying it with that tone at the time of like, uh, yeah, it I'll do like, it. Let me just get through this and go back to live, live my life the way I want to live it. It was like, how long will I have to do this for? Five weeks, is it? Grant. And then will I be better? Okay. And everyone can stop being so dramatic. Like I thought everyone was being over the top. And I said, right, I'll do what you need me to do for you. So you don't realise during that spell no. of five months where you feel now that you're spiralling you didn't there wasn't the recognition yourself of something needs to change here yes but I didn't actually want to do the work okay so I knew I'd left my job I knew I had very little life but how dare they, so the voice then is telling you how dare they try and take me away from you so don't let them take what you have and what you have is this eating disorder. Mm. What you have is being thin. Like, don't let them steal that. And so you're kind of fighting it. And you kind of, It's always very funny when you go into inpatient and you're an adult, You, unless you're sectioned, which I wasn't, you go in voluntarily. And they were like, are you voluntarily coming in here? And I was like, I suppose I am. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you're not, but you do. So, I mean, that, what, what you're asking there about me not accepting it, I went in for five weeks and did nothing and got sicker and got okay. thinner. And the hospital were like, she's not ready. It was like the alcoholic who doesn't actually want to put the drink down. I came back out, had the worst Christmas of my life up to 2018 and suddenly I got the moment in 2018 and it was just coming up to New Year and I thought, oh my God, I'm so sick. I need to change and I went in for 12 weeks and that's when it really started and that's when the, re- the recovery journey properly started. Yeah, so you, you have your moment of realisation yeah. yourself. Um, the following those 12 weeks, the months that follow, like I, I'm sure now you can look back and think, the best thing that had probably ever happened to you, but yeah. incredibly difficult at the time. I I wouldn't change what happened because I think I am where I am today because of it. And I think I'm probably the person I really am, uh, which sounds a bit cheesy, but you know, um, but I would never want to relive it. Mm. I never want to go back there. It was, I, I have a diary and I know I wrote in it that I never have to do day one again in that because day one was the worst. I I never wanted to do anything like not be here. Um, I thought it would be easier, but I never was going to take action on that. But that first day in hospital was the first day I thought it'd be so much easier if I just could close my eyes now and not go through this. But I did go through it. And part of me thought, and I think about it actually when I'm competing, which is funny. I think I, if I can do this, this will be the biggest achievement of my life. If I can 
get over this. This is such a big achievement. So when I'm competing now and I have to do something and I'm nervous, I'm like, you literally beat anorexia. Like mm. you're actually grand. <laughs> like You will be able to do this and you can take on. So I do feel like I can take on a lot now and deal with a lot because of it, but I don't want to relive it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Jesus, a lot in that. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's so important. We obviously talk a lot about, um, you know, girls in sport and the importance of it now and like the importance of being athletic and you know you're not talking that long ago where actually that was looked down upon yeah. for school girls that actually being athletic was not seen as a as a good thing it, like geez you really hope that's changing I sometimes say while I you know there's still body standards and there's still girls who want to look like a Kardashian and have a certain waist and a certain bum there's something to be said for the amount of young girls that say to me oh, I wish I had muscly legs like you. That still shocks me that someone would want that, that someone thinks that that is in any way attractive or, or a mm. thing to to admire because I was so ridiculed for it. But I am so happy that there is, and I'm not saying for all, but for an awful lot of women, there is a focus on how strong you are and and being athletic is, is admired. Like I, I wish maybe things might have been a little bit different if that had been how it was for me. I do still say though there's still a huge amount of pressure on on women in sport and to look a certain way. Like how many girls do you see going out with the tan on their legs mm. to play football? Like so that's still a, a pressure um, and it's probably still things that, that we and, and parents and things like that have to watch but I do wish that that I hope that being strong continues to be applauded and something about strong women I have to say like you go into this room and there are all these different weight categories and there are women of all shapes and sizes, like the to the, the smallest, most petite girl in the room to women who are so strong and have been doing it years. And you suddenly feel like, God, nobody cares what my body looks like. Like literally no one cares. They're going, what did you lift? And, and, and there's something lovely about that. It's saying all that, you know, when I was reading up on your story and, you know, what you've come through so brilliantly and... I would have thought strong woman would be the last thing that you would be getting into and that it would actually cause an awful lot of concern for your family that something again where it is from the outside about your body and that there's a real discipline needed around eating and what you put into your body and how you shape your body. Was that a concern for, for your family, for people around you when you said that? Because again, you were, you talked there about uh, coming home from the gym at midnight and your parents been there this is the type of thing where you're very tempted to be in the gym at midnight Yes so I know that they were worried when I first started going back to exercise I told them I always would um, and, but I suppose what they had to learn was that I mean look how sick I got and they couldn't stop me mm. so if I was going to go down this path and do it in an unhealthy way they really couldn't stop me whether they wanted to or not however what they did do was they would ask questions is that good for your back? Is that okay? Are you eating to to be able to fuel that? And actually what they learned was once I was kind of given a bit of power to, you know, go to the gym and do this in and, and kind of take control of myself rather than constantly being told because I was being told for so long by medical professionals or or my parents or people what to do, that I am more willing to do things when it's in when it's me who makes the choice. Um the thing that does get me is is the weight categories and it's often why I don't continue on. So I'm now through to UK's um, strongest woman. That's uh, an unusual <laughs> thing mm. to be through to, but England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And one of the reasons, and I would love to challenge myself, I would love to try and do the weights. I would love to go up against women, you know, over there. But I, that's 13 more weeks of weighing myself every day, of watching my food every day, of feeling like I literally cannot slip. 
and then the stress of having to possibly do like I did this time a water cut um, or a weight cut I don't know if it's safe for me to do that continuously. Mm. So that, but that's a choice that that I that I make, and it is something that my my parents will check in on to make sure I'm o- okay with it. Look, you're clearly taking a huge amount of personal responsibility for <laughs> for what's gone on in the past and and what's going on now and what will happen in the future. But you know, you did you used earlier like words like punish and torture that you could use for the past and what you obviously need to put yourself through now as well. Who? Who are, the, are there professionals you talk to around that to make sure that, you know, like talking about weight cutting, which you know we often speak about with boxers and like how unhealthy that can yep. be. Um, Horrendous. Like, <laughs> so again, to have, have come through an eating disorder, to ha- even have that sort of vocabulary in your daily life. How do you deal with that? Well, firstly, the one thing I will say is every single time I have to do a weight cut, I turn to my dad and say, how did I do this for months on end? Mm. Like, I can't believe I didn't eat properly from because that week is awful so it kind of reminds me why I can't go back there because it's miserable and he was like well do you not remember how sad you were he was like you're as you were a sad 24 7 as you are this week so it reminds me and kind of encourages me not to go back there because it does not feel good anymore now that I'm I, I, I'm so far far past it um but it is it is unusual yes for me to have to even discuss it and for people to even know what weight category I'm in because for so long I wouldn't tell anybody mm. what my weight was at all um, and it but I, I do think I have a hand on it however I don't do my own food because that's something I am in table so I have a nutrition coach who she deals with specifically women who are in like strong women she also has um, had disordered eating herself so can actually understand when it. so funnily enough it took an awful long time for me to trust her not because I didn't trust her, but because my eating disorder voice was like, she's trying to give you too much food. Mm. So, because, but because she got that, we, we we worked well together. But I have tried before where I've thought, okay, well, I can just do my plan myself and I can't. My head doesn't allow me. But if someone gives me the food to eat and tells me what to do, I'm obedient. So I'll do it. Um, similarly, I have a coach who does my strong woman plan and he makes sure that I have rest days. Um, now I really do need them but in the past I wouldn't have allowed myself to have them now I look forward to them so I make sure there's people around me and there are you know I if when I need it I have a counsellor um, for any of the eating sort of thoughts I dip in and out of that sometimes okay. I don't need it um, but I do make sure there's people around me and I, I'm quite vocal I mean when, when things a few weeks ago when it didn't look like I might make weight um, I was really really down and I was like I feel awful about myself I didn't like what I saw in the mirror but I I will say it out loud now so and that actually helps at least people know how to support you or mm. talk to you then. Like I guess even the term strong woman is important that it's about strength so you you automatically have to fuel yourself or you're 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 not going to be strong that even even a move away from sort of bodybuilding towards it being around strength leads into that bit of you have to consistently fuel yourself to make sure that you're going to be in the best possible state for the the different events you're in. Uh, one other thing that when you think about strong women or strong men championships is around that gym culture and supplement culture and other issues that could arise as you got more and more into it is is that something that has been quite noticeable that there is a strong whether it's a doping culture a supplement culture is because often it's one of those things you hear well every gym you walk into you know supplements are everywhere illegal supplements are everywhere Mm. but i haven't seen it but uh then again you know, are you looking? <laughs> I'm not looking. So, like, is that is that is that an issue in 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 these championships? Is there regular testing against? Uh, is there other anti-doping measures? So yeah, so strongman and women. It's I mean, it's quite well known that there's an awful lot of 
um, steroid use within mm. the sport. Um, but there are different federations. So I, I'm Ireland's strongest natural. So uh, everybody who competed last weekend is in the natural federation. They're all natural athletes. Um, often it does come to a decision. I've never felt it. So, so my personal opinion is um, I don't need titles or want titles enough to take something to make me improve my performance or be able to compete with those people on an international stage because that, you know, outside the natural federation, mm. I mean, I, I couldn't reach the numbers that a lot of them are, are reaching. Okay, so there is a legal amount of steroids that some bodybuilders can take to compete? There's, there's different um, competitions, so not within not within the natural okay. federation, not where I competed at the weekend. Uh, that's tested. Um, it was kind of random, random testing um, and everybody there... There's also sometimes I find you kind of know who's on thing, on stuff and who's not. Um, but there is opportunities. I mean, you, you are more than welcome to go into any of the competitions. Um, and, you know, people will be taking uh, different supplements, as we call them. But um, I, I think it's a decision some people come to when they want to get to the, the next level or the higher levels or go international. I, th- I think outside of the natural federation. Mm. Um, and... But it, as you say, I'm never offered it. I've never been, never seen it in the gym. But that's because I, it's not something that interests me. So I'm not exposed to it. Um, but I know that it is something that a lot of decisions that a lot of athletes and actually recently one of, of a, a fantastic strong woman who runs a lot of the, the, the competitions actually here in Ireland, the Natural Federation. She spoke and did a whole video on, on the, the moment she had to choose. So it often is is a choice. Um, but I will just say something just really quickly about the culture. Um, often when you go into a gym um, and you kind of feel like you're isolated on your own, that's not what strong man or woman is. I've never felt so cheered on and supported by okay. your competitors. Like everyone wants you to lift your heaviest. Everyone wants you to do well. They'd love to win, but they also want you to do well. So there's, there's definitely a big community aspect to it. I suppose a bit like CrossFit or whatever. <laughs> In terms of... Uh What's next then? So you're a, a two-time Irish champion. You speak there about the next step in the UK event, uh, but actually that having to go for another two or three months with the same regime is just too much. What are the ambitions? Are, are you satisfied with being Irish champion? I, I think so. Um, and that might sound frustrating to others who would would like to make, because basically you have, to come, you have to make podium to get through to those. That might be frustrating for people who don't make podium and would like, to, to get there but I suppose we all have our, our own set goals mm. and ambitions mine is to to compete in Ireland and I haven't said no 100% to UK's uh, because it could be fantastic a fantastic experience but the way I always look at things is I judge every single competition based on the events because I mentioned I tortured myself with exercise that I didn't enjoy for so long if I don't like the events if they don't suit me and if I can't access the equipment easily um, so if I'm going to be travelling two hours in the morning and then having to come to work because I have to get the equipment, that's not worth it to me. Um, so the goal now is I'll wait and see what the events are for UKs. If not, um, often in Ireland they do kind of smaller league events or they'll do uh, okay. smaller competitions and uh, we'll see what happens, yeah. How many hours a day do you train? Uh, an event session would take me two hours, but um, usually an hour and a half. Oh, every day? Five days a week. Okay. Two rest days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Listen, thanks so much for coming in and uh, being so honest. And well, thanks thanks for covering it. Achieving so much. Uh, on a less serious note to finish, yes. I have the solution for what is next for you. Okay. Gladiators. Gladiators oh. is now the biggest TV show. At the weekend, it's back. 
Bradley Walsh and his son. So, Gladi- do you remember Gladiators in the nineties? I go just to meet Bradley. Do you remember Gladiators in the nineties? Well, I mean, I was a baby, but okay. Well, listen, some of us are. I do know of it. You do know, so it's back. Yeah, and there was an Irish girl on it a couple of weeks ago. She did very well. She won through the quarterfinals, uh, but. Would a I lot of the competitors come from the... I, I think you probably would. I think she came from a CrossFit background. Okay. But a lot of them come from that sort of strong woman background. And I think... I think not a bother to you. Is this a call out? Sign me up. This that's is, the next goal. I don't know when the applications are out for next year, but you put yourself down there. Yep. And that's a nice handy little goal. Bit of stardom to go with it. Yeah, that's what I need. I need fame to go with all of this. Ah, worked perfectly. So listen, <laughs> we'll be there. Number one supporters if it all works out. I'll be out. back just, on next year. We'll be talking about that. I'm just throwing that. it out there. Uh, but listen, uh, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, people will hear you on News Talk as well. And uh, yeah, if um, if anyone's affected by it, and we've been discussing here, by the way, bodywise.ie uh, has a lot of information and support about eating disorders. Uh, but Sheila Nocton, two-time <laughs> Irish Strongwoman champion. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you.